Take the land. Say it with me. Take the land. One more time with a little more gusto. Take the land. Take the land. I'm departing from Philippians this morning. I felt uh, this morning uh, that um, we need to spend some time in a little different um, genre, and we'll come back to Philippians. As a matter of fact, how many of you, uh, if you've been a part of the Philippian study, heard semblances of the teachings from Philippians through the speaker yesterday, Priscilla Shire? Uh, I heard I heard things like uh, love one another, be kind to one another. Brothers and sisters ought to treat one another with great dignity and love and and kindness and gentleness. And you heard uh, Mark as he was sharing that we need to be of one accord and and uh, the spirit of unity that God has taught. It's just all through the scriptures, and I just so much uh, appreciated that. So this morning I, I'm going to take us a little different direction, and it has to do with this is kind of the well, it is the end of the church year. Uh, that may not mean a whole lot to you, but there's a church calendar that we have to abide by because we are a part of a district uh, conference, and the conference is a part of the Wesleyan denomination, and so this is the time that we needed to take care of uh, church business. And so this morning, I want to take us down the road of take the land, take the land. You know, that was, let me give a little perspective this morning on where I'm headed with this. We're going to start in the Old Testament, and we're going to end in the New Testament. And I want to highlight just a few things, because that was the Lord's plan for the Old Testament Israel, take the land. Do you remember that? If you've been reading through the Bible with us, you've, you've already been through this part and, and you, you've, you've sensed it and, and you've experienced uh, what God has left for us in terms of Israel taking the land that God had promised. It all started out with Abram. His name was later changed to Abraham, but it started out with Abram gathering up his family with Lot, his nephew, and they headed toward Canaan, which was their destination point. Now, for you, that means uh, southeast of Baghdad on the modern-day map uh, and going westward uh, all the way to what we would say is modern-day Israel and Canaan land at that time because God had chosen that as a place that he was going to give Abram and his descendants who later were known as the Israelites. And, of course, Israel is there today. Let's read Genesis 12, and this is really the foundation. I want you to bear with me in this old storyline. And I know most of us, if not, uh, I doubt that all of us know it, but it's good perspective for us to go back and see that, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. That's verse 4, 12 verse 4. And Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Now, that's an important piece there. The Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. Now, remember, the Canaanites were in the land. But God said to Abram, To your descendants, Abram, Abraham, I will give this land that already has Canaanites living in it. Okay? So he, Abraham, built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
Now this statement right here, to your descendants I will give this land, has stirred the pot in the Middle East and it is still stirred up today. Amen? It's still stirred up. Right from that passage. So this is relevant stuff. This is not, oh, this is Old Testament history and can't we get on with something new? No, this is going on right now. And it will help to give us perspective. It's part of why I feel the Lord has had me to, to, to bring this back up again. And you're going to see on a map, I'm not sure if we can put that map up there, but after a long period of time, uh, and you can see, remember I said if far, the far right says Ur, if you can see that, I don't have my pointer. If somebody's got one, you can burn a hole in the screen if you've got a high-powered one. <laughs> don't do that. That's not a screen, that's a wall. But uh, there's a screen. So uh, I, I just wanted you to know, I knew that was a wall and that's a screen. I just wanted you to know that. Okay, so, so Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, basically, and that's where this story starts. And uh, Abram, Abraham, he heads northwest uh, and up to Haran, and then he starts to head down toward Canaan. And Canaan is really where Israel is, Jerusalem, and all around that area right now. So after, after a long period of time, many, many years of slavery happened down in Egypt. See, Egypt over here, remember the children of Israel were kept in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years. After many years of slavery in Egypt, Abraham is gone, okay? He's long since gone. And God raises up Moses, you know that name. He raises up Moses to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage. And and the promise that he gave to Abram is still in effect from many years ago. Now, this map shows how Moses divided the inheritance according to the 12 tribes. That's another map coming up. So here we are. This is the land of Canaan. Now, remember, there's already a bunch of people there. Remember that? The Canaanites are there. But God said, this is yours. I'm giving it to you. And so as Moses, of course, Moses was not allowed to go in because of some problems that he had. But Moses, through Joshua and those that that crossed over, as they began to take the inheritance that God had promised Abraham, it's now being worked out hundreds of years later, and this is how the inheritance was passed out for this promised land that God uh, had, had said he was going to give to Abraham's descendants. But this issue right here, it was not without a fight, because the people had been living there in that land for centuries before the Israelites got there. Now, I want to share something with you because you may have run across this or you may have thought about it yourself. It's a fair question, but just for the record, I I am aware that there is a thought out there that somehow this whole migration was highly unfair to the people who were already living in Canaan. They were already there because they were there first, I mean, so to speak. They had kind of squatter's rights or whatever you want to say. But how is this fair to people that had lives built and homes built and children being raised and the whole thing? And then all of a sudden, this group of people comes in and they say, basically, get out. So the storyline goes something like this. Somehow, Israel has been unfair to the inhabitants of the land, and therefore they should either give it back, share it, Or something in between, I don't know, you can make it up yourselves. And so if you've ever wondered that, or if you've ever had somebody say, well, I don't like what's going on in Israel, and I, you know, I like what, you know, the Palestinians, and we got these people here, and they were, you know, they were there long before, and I don't know about 
fairness. And I don't know about, well, let me respond to that from God's word. Because it may, it may help you to understand some Middle East stuff. Number one, the Genesis account, and we don't have to go back and read it. You, you know what it says. It tells us, and this is kind of an oversimplification, and I get that. But let's start with this. The Genesis account tells us very clearly that it is God who created everything. Amen? And so everything belongs to God. Okay? You say state the obvious. But we need to state the obvious so that we can follow this line of reasoning. So ultimately, He, God, can do whatever He wants with the things that belong to Him. That's the first place to begin. It's not, it's not, fairness doesn't even come into it. It belongs to God, and it's up to God whatever He wants to do with what belongs to Him. Amen? If we start there, it'll be a lot easier to unravel this little puzzle. So, if people were in the land of Canaan before Israel got there, and they were, then let's conclude this. They were blessed by God for a time to be there. That was a blessing. They got to live in Canaan land. They got to raise their children. They got to plant their crops. They got to enjoy all the milk and honey and, and fruit of the land. They, they were blessed for a period of time, hundreds of years, to be able to live in something that belonged to God. And I don't have any record that, that he charged them any rent. It was always his in the first place. It never was theirs. Amen? It never was theirs. It was always and still is God's. All right, number two. Hopefully this will help us a little. In Genesis chapter 12, it records, and you can read it later and do a study, God was determined to give Abram many descendants as a blessing. You know, he was faithful. The scripture calls Abraham the friend of God. There was something unique about Abraham that God was just drawn to, and he he said, I'm going to bless him. I, I just, I want to give him good things. And so I'm going to give him some land and I'm going to give him many descendants. And they would eventually become so numerous that they would constitute an actual nation. And we know that nation as Israel today. So what, what we're seeing here in a bit of a nutshell is something that I think that, and you think about it, in our own culture, we really struggle with a premise that God is showing us here. And that premise is that there is something called the sovereignty of God that the world struggles with. The sovereignty of God. We struggle with it. We don't struggle with it if it's a happy thing. (laughs) But you let something of critical nature come into your life, you let something of a tragic nature come into your life, and then all of a sudden the sovereignty of God can come into question. And God is teaching us, don't let that happen, because God is still God, and He still loves us, and He still knows what He's doing, and He still owns everything, and including us, and He loves us more than we can imagine, and even when it's hard times, that's why we open the altar, and we come and we pray, and we say, God help us, because it's hard times, I don't know how much more of this I can take, it's tough, I don't know how to figure this out, it's a real problem, whatever, but it's still a part of the sovereignty of God that God allows certain things to touch our lives, to touch our churches. To touch our our children sometimes and to touch our marriages and to touch our workplaces and all of those kinds of things. So, 
people who don't know God do not like God making decisions they don't agree with. Would you say that's true? People, especially, now sometimes people who know God disagree with what God says. That's even worse. But there are people who, who don't know God and they, they, they see what's going on in their lives or in the world and they disagree with things quite often, especially if it doesn't seem fair. Now we're talking about dispossessing some people who are already in Canaan. And there, there is a line of reasoning that each one of us could say, well, you know, there's a sense in which that doesn't seem fair. Because they, after all, they were there first. And we could make a case for that. Except we know that it all belongs to God and it never did belong to them. And he can do whatever he wants to do because there is something called the sovereignty of God. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. And that's good. It's not bad. It's good. It may seem unfair or confusing to us, but if it's God, it's good. Because there's nothing evil in God. Amen? God does not sin. God does not make mistakes. God is good. So let's remember what the world tells us about God's decision to bless Israel. Now, if you'll, every piece of this builds upon the last thing that I share. So, so except for the people that are tired out from the conference yesterday, everybody stay focused, okay? The rest of them can nod a little bit here and there. And I'll shout every once in a while. I'll wake you up and get an elbow, okay? Well, let's remember. He, God, did not bless Israel because of their righteousness, but because of his sovereign will and his sovereign pleasure. They didn't, they didn't get picked out to, to, to get Canaan land because they were better than everybody else. God just selected them. God just selected them. Now, he may have had some reasoning behind that. Certainly, he appreciated Abraham's faith and all that sort of thing. I, I don't know if all played into it, perhaps. I don't know the mind of God. For that. But he sovereignly selected this man and his wife, and boom, there comes Israel. Because God chose to bless them, not because they were better than anybody else. How do we know that? Deuteronomy 9.5. Read it for yourself. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he, so I was right, wasn't I? It wasn't because they were better than anybody else. It looks to me like it was in part, maybe a big part, because of how crummy... Those people in Canaan were behaving before God. He was not happy. And so God used this, this group that he has put his favor upon and blessed to drive them out because of the wickedness of these nations in Canaan. And in order, oh, by the way, it also fulfills the promise that he made to Abraham that he was going to give him a, a, a many descendants, and a land where they could live and enjoy. So, there are at least two reasons God moved in this way. Maybe there's more. Maybe you can think of some others. But here are two reasons that will help us. A, because he made a covenant with Abraham to give him this particular land, and God always keeps his promises. Amen? God said, I'm going to do this. And so, he did it. 
B, secondly, because of the wickedness of the people who lived there. And we don't have time to go back and read the multiple passages in the Old Testament that, uh, that record the wickedness on the part of the people who lived in Canaan before the Israelites got there. But suffice it to say that it was rampant with idol worship. It was rampant with infant uh, sacrifice. Mothers, can, can you imagine my son-in-law and my daughter sometime this week taking this precious little David Asa born to them and sacrificing little David on an altar, burning his little flesh and stifling out his life because of worshiping a foreign false god? Can you imagine? This stuff was going on rampantly. God saw all of that and he said, I'll not have it. I will not have it. I'm going to give it to somebody else. You can read about it in the book of Deuteronomy. It's, it's tragic. So let's get this clear. God owns all the land, so he can give it to whomever he wishes, because it is his to manage. Now, that's enough about the people of uh, Canaan. Other than, look, God said, you don't get to stay here anymore. So the best thing for you to do is move on. That'd be the best thing for you. Move on, because I'm going to push you out. If you, if you resist, you're going to get hurt. Be better for you, just move on. You know, I have a friend who uh, was a vice president of a very prestigious construction company in a major city in Ohio. He was a part of our church, our church leadership. And uh, he'd been in this company for several years and had built, built quite a good name for himself he had a great job. Uh, the company was one of the largest companies in the city. Uh, Fifteen years ago, he was making $150,000 a year plus significant bonuses. Uh, he, he did well. He had a fine home. His kids were in private school, and they wore the best of the best. And, and he, they loved God, and they were on our leadership uh, team. And so I knew him intimately. One day he came to the church and he asked us to begin to pray for him because he was seeking a new job. And we're going, what? <laughs> you got a great job. Are you kidding me? 150,000 plus bonuses and all this sort of thing. This was way back then. Who knows what it would have been today? And he goes, yeah. I said, well, why, why would you leave a good job like that? And he says, well, the company belongs to Mr. X. We won't call his name, but it belongs to Mr. X. And Mr. X has a son. You know where I'm going? Mr. X has a son. And the son came to the point that his father thought he was capable of running things as a vice president. And eventually he would be running the company one day when the owner passed it on. So Mr. X gave my job to his son, and that's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. He got my job. Now, he offered me a lesser position with a little less money because I had been a faithful worker, but I, I declined. And so now I'm looking for a new job. Well, God owned Canaan before anybody lived there. But it was even more than ownership. The people of Canaan were evil people. They had no regard for the one true God. 
Abram did, did have regard for God. And so God gave Canaan to Abraham and his descendants. And, and he, he fired the people that were already there. That's what happened. And the reason that my friend uh, moved on was, as painful as it was and as disappointing as it was to him, he understood who owns what. He said, the father owns the company, and it's his call. And so the best thing for me is get on with my life. That would have been the best thing for Canaanites to do. Get on with your life. God said, you're fired. Get out. (laughs) Best thing. They didn't do that. Of course. And uh, you've been fired, find another job. Of course, we know that King David, down through the years, he he went after all this land here, and he fought against all these different uh, people groups. And uh, he actually won, for the most part, and united the kingdom. And it was one kingdom for a while until it split into the northern and the southern kingdoms. And that is true. But guess what? If you read the history of it, you'll find that... The people that were there first, the Canaanites, who were evil and wicked before the Lord, 100% of them, they never did all leave. They never did. Sometimes because when in the battles they didn't follow what God said, and that was to wipe every last one of them out. And sometimes it was uh, because uh, either people trickled back in or they did whatever, but there was still an evil influence. And those problems still re- uh, uh, continue even to this day. Even to this day, remnant of that is still there. Now, that's the Old Testament. That's Israel. And that's the geographic place called Canaan. Let's come back to the theme, take the land. The first scenario has to do with Israel. The second scenario has to do with the New Testament now that Jesus has come. And Jesus has given us instructions. And they're a little different from what God said to Abram and to Moses and, and to the people of Israel. It's a little different. It comes out of the same perspective and the same history. And the church is rooted in all of that. And we learn so much about our heritage from the Old Testament. But we need to take a look this morning at what Jesus says. The roots of the Christian church are found in the Old Testament. But the New Testament points us to Jesus and His teachings. And Jesus has given us something greater than a single nation. Jesus has given us a mandate for something greater than just a single nation that resides in Canaan. His is bigger. His is broader. He's given us the church. We're the church. We're a part of the church universal, the true life-giving church around the world. We're part of that. We call ourselves Lakeview. As a part of the church, He's given this church which is comprised of believers in Jesus Christ and who have been given the Holy Spirit for empowerment. Empowerment for what? Mark 16, 15. And here's where we're coming current. And Jesus said to them, Go into all, say all. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Not just Canaan. Not just one nation, but to all creation. The, the, the church, Lakeview has got to pay attention to that in a big way. Not that we haven't, and not that we don't intend to, but we must pay attention, close attention, to this part of taking the land. 
So the command to take the land for us today does not have to do with a particular geographic location as it did in the Old Testament and Israel. But for the church in the New Testament, take the land means the whole world. Take the land means the whole world. So at Lakeview, as a part of the New Testament church, we're charged to take the land, which is the whole world for Christ. And so, how do we go about that? Well, we go about that doing our very best to follow something we call strategy. Strategy. What is our strategy to take the gospel to the whole world instead of just Canaan land? Well, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment about strategy. Hold on. First, I want to lay a backdrop for discussing strategy from the Old Testament storyline that we've just talked about. Because when Moses has just led the people out of Egyptian bondage, they're in the wilderness. And they're on their way to possess the land that God had promised them. And guess what? God just, you know, remember the plagues? Remember the plagues? Hello? Are you still awake? It's only 1125. So stay awake. Remember the plagues? Remember how God used those? You wonder, why was God even so patient to keep doing one after another? I would have, you know, you know what we would have done. We would have maybe done one or two and that's it. But God was very patient. And through those plagues, God showed his power and strength. And of course, the people were freed. Pharaoh changed his mind. He tried to come after them and recollect them, whatever. They split the sea and they got across and they got, so they're in the wilderness and they're on their way to inherit the what? promised land, what God promised Abram a long time ago. They're finally, hundreds of years later, on their way, but they're in the wilderness. And something phenomenal happened. They got worried. You ever been worried? You ever been worried? Are you worried right now about your checkbook balance? Anybody worried about what you got in your retirement account and if it's going to last long enough and it's going to provide enough, you know, you know what I'm saying? Anybody worried about your health today? Not sure how long things are going to work for us and how painful it's going to be and all that sort of thing. So we got all kinds of reasons that we can worry. So they're out there in the promised land. They forgot about all these tremendous miracles that God did to set them free and they just cross over. By the way, they just went to split the sea, walked right through the sea on dry land. And they started worrying anyway. They said, no, 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 what's going to happen? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we gonna, where are we going to go? What's going to happen? And they started to worry. You know, sometimes the church gets worried. The church gets worried. Some of you, you worry yourself sick about finances. Some of you, you worry yourself sick about certain programs or programs that we haven't developed yet. Or programs that we have that you think should be doing better or be going in a different direction or whatever. Some of you fret yourself to death almost over contemporary music versus the old hymns. And we listen, we just worry, 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 worry. I don't know if I'll get elected. I said I'd let my name run. I don't know if I get elected or not. So I'm just worry, worry, worry. And if I don't get elected, then what does that mean? And it means people don't like me and people don't respect me and blah, 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 politics in the church. And the, listen, there's all kinds of reasons to worry, you know, in our lives. Amen? Now, I'm saying this with a smile. I'm not getting after anybody. I'm just saying this is how it works. This is how it is. And so let's learn from this. 
Sometimes even the church gets worried. What will happen when Israel shows up to take the land from those people that are already there? What's going to happen? Is dad going to have to take a sword and fight? Will he have to leave us alone? Will grandpa, is he too old or will they make him go too? You know, he's got arthritis. You know, will he have to fight? Uh, we don't, I've never shot a gun. <laughs> Throw a spear, fired an arrow. I, I don't know. I mean, I have, but, I, but I'm saying people worry. They worry. What, what are we going to do? What happens when these people get mad and come after us? And all these kinds of things were going through their mind. What will happen? So Moses says, okay, let's get up here close and let's send some spies out and check out the land. Remember we're talking about take the land? Take the land. Let's check it out. So Numbers 13, 27. Here we go. Thus they told him. The spies went out and they came back. Thus they told uh, Moses and said, We went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They carried back a whole bunch of grapes. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified. And very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. He said, I'm not worried. Let's go do it. God said, do it. He said he would help us. And so let's get after it. Let's get on with it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. You can read up on those. They were great big people and scary. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now, the temptation is to lay back and not risk it. That's the temptation. Let's lay back, let's think about this for a while, and let's not risk anything because this is scary. This is scary. And that's exactly what Satan wanted the people to do. Don't risk it. And that's exactly what Satan wants every church to do. Don't risk it. Uh, Get the fortress together. Uh, get all the people behind the, the, the walls and, and where we're safe and where nobody can hurt us. And every once in a while, just, you know, take your little pea shooter out and go <coughs> and try to hit somebody in the eye and then duck. And don't, don't take any land. Just hold on to the land that you've got. And that's the temptation. And that's what they wanted to do. So the bulk of the spies, guess what Philippians taught us? What did, what, what did Philippians teach us about talking in the church. He said, don't murmur and don't grumble. I think, I think the speaker yesterday spoke to that. Don't murmur and don't grumble. 
Hmm. You see, it was all negative, lacked the kind of faith Abraham had shown. And God showed them a better thing from the very beginning, but they weren't watching it. Guess what? This is really significant. God was closely watching them and was paying attention to their attitudes. He was watching it. Numbers 14.1. Listen. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. In other words, let's fire Moses. Let's get us somebody that will do what we want and let's go back. Now friends, this report about not taking the land was an incredible mistake on the part of the people on the part of those spies especially. It was an incredible... Did I say incredible? An incredible mistake that they made as a people in terms of taking the land. It resulted... You know the story. It resulted in a major delay in getting out of the wilderness. It resulted in a delay in getting settled in the land that God had promised them. And it caused, listen to this, maybe you, maybe you forgot about this. A whole generation of people had to die in the wilderness before God would let a remnant go in. The whole generation that said, hey, we're worried about this. We think we should go back. We're not, we're, we're not going to take the land. Uh, that's a mistake. God was watching closely every move they made on that. And he said, the whole generation will die except for two, Joshua and Caleb and their families. They were the only two with their families that were permitted to inherit what God had for the people. Listen, Deuteronomy 1. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words, and he was angry. Well, when, you, when God gets angry, pay attention. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words, and he was angry. And took an oath saying, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me on your account, Moses said. God even got angry with me because you guys didn't want to take the land. And risk it, saying, not even you shall enter there, Moses. And God loved Moses. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. You see why I said that was an incredible mistake the people made. Incredible. It caused a whole generation to die and not get to see what God had already promised them. Three quick principles. One. The Lord expects us to be obedient if we want His best. We must be obedient if we want His best. Our mandate from Jesus 
I already read it, is to take the world. Take the land means take the creation, take the world. He didn't say it would be easy. He didn't say we would win every battle. He didn't even say we would win everybody. But he said, take it to the world, take the land. That's what he said. Number two, the Lord's anger is provoked when we lack faith. The Lord's anger is provoked when we lack faith. The lack of faith that most of the spies had and the lack of faith to do what God said by the people, it really angered God. It caused, as I said, that whole generation to die in the wilderness. So our resolve must not be marginalized by the fear of risk. We must stay the course. Can I get an amen? We must stay the course. And number three, our orders are clear. Take the land. Take the land. So what's our strategy at Lakeview as we head into a new church year to take the land? Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that God says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Go say to them, return to your tents, but as for you, stand here by me, that I may speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I give them to possess. Now let me pause there for just a moment. That is why we march through the Word of God the way that we are. I am not saying it is the only way to preach. I am not saying that it is the best way to preach, although I kind of think that. And I'm not even saying that I'm the best at doing that. But it is why we do that, because teaching the people the statutes and the judgments is what helps the people to please God, to know how to please God, so that we have His full blessing. So, verse 32, So you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. Take the land. Well, in a few moments after dismissal, we'll give a little restroom break. In just a few moments, we're, we're going to start something called the church conference, local church conference. It's the church business meeting, whatever. And we will, we will prayerfully add some folks to the local board because we have a few rotating off. We have term limits, and so there's, we need to elect three. And so we will do our best prayerfully to elect three people to fill the slots that are rotating out. And they'll join others that still have uh, terms to fulfill. This group, the local board of administration, the church board, this group will prayerfully work this year, coming year, with our staff in this, in this time to find the best ways that we can take the land for Jesus. So that means that we need a budget to work with. So one of the pieces of the local church conference is for you to look at a summary of the budget. And there will be people who present that for us. And at some point, whether it's adjusted, modified, added to, taken away from, whatever it is, there has to be a budget that we can run this thing. Amen? And we can't run it, we can't do that without the approval of the membership. So we'll be doing that. And that that comes from tithes and offerings. We just passed the plates here. 
that budget over the course of the next year will come as a result of the faithfulness of your tithes and your offerings and your faithful attendance, which some people need some help straightening out that don't seem to understand that it's safer for us to be in God's house than, than be floating around to everything under the sun. And, you know, take your vacation, and if you're sick, be away, but be in God's house. Don't find every reason in this next church year to find a reason not to be in God's house. Can I get an amen on that? The, the culture is weak on that. I'm just talking about Lakeview. It's across the board. It's easy for people to find a reason not to want to be in God's house. But it takes people being faithful, people being in corporate worship, in prayer together, and taking our pocketbooks out together, and everybody sharing the load. And that's how God finances His work. He could give it to us in the back room and say, go on back there, in 15 minutes I'll have a whole room full of gold for you. He could do that, but that's not how He's chosen to work it. So we need a budget to work with. God is always watching our hearts, as we saw in the Old Testament. God God will be watching our hearts in the next few moments as we open up this meeting. He will be, not just my heart, not just the, the, the people that are leading the meeting, not, not just the budget part, He'll be watching your heart. God will be watching how you and I respond to the take the land that Jesus told us to get after. Can I get an amen on that at least? A little affirmation to thank you. And so once we have a budget approved to work with, we'll begin developing strategies that will develop around the guiding values. Seek and save the lost. Make disciples. Meet the needs of hurting people. Stand and shine. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And oh, by the way, your neighbor as yourself. And behave nicely toward one another. Philippians and Pat Shirer and others. Let's do that together. That's part of what Mark was talking about. Let's sing about that one in spirit, okay? And so we'll be developing in this next year more refined strategies as we move forward. And one of the ways that I'm suggesting that we refine our strategy is participating in something called Strat-Op. Would you say that with me? One, two, three. Strat-Op. One more time. Strat-Op. I believe that we're at a good place in the life of the church. Listen, we have already been through some wilderness. Amen? We've already uh, had the challenge of climbing out of financial uh, distress as a result of somebody's sin uh, some 11, 12 years ago. We, we've already gone through that period of time. And, and, and I, if I just told you all the great things that God has done, you would, you would think I was just trying to paint a pretty picture and that there's nothing that we need to work on. That's not true. And I'm not going to take all of your time to do that. But I will tell you that we're at a great place, in my opinion, to begin to make, take some significant ground for Jesus if our strategies are sharp and well honed. Amen? Our strategies need to be sharp, refined, and honed in on. And so we spent the last nine years since I've been here developing policies and procedures and realigning some things and taking the stuff that we had to work with. And the whole time we were all scared. We were all scared. If I told you how scared the trustees were the first year I got here, and they said, how will we stop the roof from leaking? Do you know how much something like that costs? Well, it's being fixed now. There's a cost to it. 
Some of us are scared to death we won't be able to pay for that extra cost. And we're worried about it. And you're going to look at the budget and you're going to say, is the budget going to work? Can we do this? We're worried about it. And I'm going to take you right back to Jesus and say, look, Jesus said, take the land. He said, be careful what you think. Think wisely. Use discernment. Don't be foolish. But also, don't be chicken. Don't be chicken in what Jesus said to do. So here we are nine years later, and the roof is starting to to come. And they started down on that end. Isn't that great? That's where my office is. And several. (laughs) But guess what? I'm sitting in my office one day, and I'm looking at all these district reports that I got to fill out for the, to satisfy the powers to be. And I, and, and I, I, I said to myself, I don't remember what words I used, but it was something that was, it was Christ-like, but it was pathetic. And I, and I said something like, good grief, if I have one more report I've got to fill out. Some of you people that work at IWU, they have to fill out all that red tape stuff. Can I get an amen? So all those reports you have to fill out and the ones at school. And I said, good grief, I, if I have to do, and I laid back, leaned back in my chair and start kind of like, and I look up and there's a new leak. Now they just fixed that part of the building. And I said, that, that, I don't think that was there. And so I get up, <laughs> I walk around front of my desk and, and I reach up there and I feel, and it's moist and it's wet. And so I called, I called our building maintenance fella and, and he's, he's out sick and I said, you don't need to come over, but there's a leak. And uh, so, uh, apparently he went ahead and called the roofing company and said, uh, said to one of his team members, uh, he said, listen, you need to get out to Lakeview. They've got a leak. And, and I think the guy said something like, well, it's been leaking for the last 15 years. What, what else is new? And he said, no. He said, I mean the part we fixed. It's leaking. He goes, oh, he said, get out there. <laughs> and so this guy comes knocking on my door and he's looking in and he says, yep, it's leaking. So they got up on there. It's been repaired. It's fixed. Something got overlooked. And so, uh, God bless you. It's okay. Everything is in order. But, uh, you know, thing, things happen that make us worry, make us wonder. It's one. So I believe that we're in a good place in the life of the church. One of the tools to assist us in being, is being offered by our district superintendent, Dr. Mark Gorvett. He and I have had conversations and, and, uh, he, he, he is really excited about where Lakeview is right now. He believes, and I believe this too, and I believe our staff believe this, is that we are at a pivotal time when we can take, we, we have such incredible Physical resources here. Not one gym, but two gyms. Uh, we, a full bore counseling center. You'll hear more about that in a few minutes. A, a full bore school from, from daycare all the way up to 12th grade. And, and it's growing and it's improving. And a staff that are, they're like, they're like chomping at the bits to want to see this ground taken for Jesus. So STRAT-OP is literally shorthand for strategic operations. Strategic operations. It's a strategic planning process that helps churches develop a clear and focused plan for effective ministry. Now, it is true that we already have strategy going. We already have plans that are working. The church has a history of things that it has been doing over the course of the years. So we're not suggesting we don't have any strategy in place. 
And I'm not suggesting that we're sitting around twiddling our thumbs uh, all week long because we don't know what to do or we can't figure anything out. It's about a team coming together, a church coming together and saying, you know what, things are a little different now. You know, the roof is getting fixed. God's going to help us fix that. He knows we needed it. We asked him for it. Guess what else? He knows the parking lot's got some holes in it. He knows it needs to be punched up a little bit. And, and, and he know, he know, he knows the, some of the kitchen stuff starts to wear out and he knows that some of the heaters and air conditioners start to get tired and he knows about all that stuff. But our district superintendent says in, in this case, he would like to come in himself because he understands the magnitude of this ministry. There is no ministry anywhere around this ministry that has the potential to reach into so many different lives as this church. And I don't, and I don't say that to anybody else's discredit at all. Because we want every life-giving church, Wesleyan or not Wesleyan, if they're life-giving and talk about Jesus as a pathway to salvation, we want all those churches to win. Amen? Amen. Want them all to win. But God has given this place a heart and a spirit and, and a physical uh, specimen to, to be able to energize into the community and into the world. And so what he'd like to do is come in sometime before too long and meet with uh, leaders over a three-day period, and it's designed to clarify our mission, our vision, our strategy, and next steps for the church. And he'll simply facilitate the conversations. They don't tell us what to do. They, they, don't, they, they know not to do that. There's no church in this whole district that has so many different pieces to it. From, from the counseling center, which is a whole different ball of wax. There are rules and regulations and laws that we have to pay attention to so that we don't get sued as a church or we don't do something wrong that would hurt somebody innocently or whatever. And we have to know what's going on and to do it properly and legally and, and ethically. And then we've got a school and that's a separate 501c3 uh, operation. And we've got to make sure somehow they use our facilities properly and that we support them properly and that we are legal and we are appropriate and we are accredited and we are doing things right because there are, there's voucher money coming in for many of our, our students. You say, well, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Well, you can have your opinion about it, but here's what it does do. It opens up it opens up the opportunity for Christian education to happen to people who don't aren't don't aren't coming from church homes. I don't know that that's ever quite been at that level ever before. So this is an opportunity, and so uh, let's take the land. And so that's what I'm saying. In this year, we're, I'm excited about how how God is going to work with some of these things. Here, here's one of our strategies that was just completed. Yesterday, you'll see the picture come up. Over 400 women from over 100 churches reaching into our community, taking the land. Now, that I shot that from right up there. That was the best I could do. I wish I could have bent way over the, ba- the balcony and shot le- to the right and shot to the left because the whole place was filled except for just some corners, right on these corners. The place was filled. So I close with this thought. Our facilities have never been so ready. It, it looks better than any time since I've been here. The whole place has been painted and patched. 
the roof, we're getting a brand new roof, start to finish, if they ever get it done. And they will. And we've, we, and there are other things that we can talk about that, that have been improvements. This beautiful landscaping out here and our three crosses and just so many things. Our facilities have never been so ready. Our staff have never been so excited in mission and vision. Our community, our country, and our world have never been so needy. So I want to say, let's take the land. Let's take the land, okay? Amen? Let's stand. So listen, if you, if you have not met Jesus Christ, uh, if you have not asked him to come into your heart and your life and to bring you uh, such a storyline that would just invigorate your soul, that you could see how God could take uh, one human being uh, who was, was weak and inept and had made lots of errors and mistakes, whatever, that God loved you so much that he took your sin and your mistakes and everything, he took them upon himself on the cross because he loves you. And if you will entrust your life to him, if you will let him take your heart, take the land, take your heart, you will be surprised where God will lead you. And ultimately, he will take you to heaven. So if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and life, I, I beseech you to do that before it is too late. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to head into the conference. Uh, and those of you who can stay, you don't have to be a member to stay and take a look at what's happening, but uh, only the members are uh, able to vote. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great story you have uh, woven in, through your word, uh, starting with the children of Israel and uh, giving them this wonderful promised land. And yes, it was tough. Yes, it was hard. Uh, yes, there were roofs to repair and parking lots to repave and, and uh, rooms to paint and things to remodel and, and things that break down and vans that we need to replace and all kinds of things that we have just like they had. But help us, Father, to never lose sight of what Jesus said. Go into all the world and take this gospel to all the world, all the nations. And so, Lord, you see our efforts and our missions giving you see what our Commission on Missions is trying to do in leading the church for uh, those that are outside of this country, as well as many that are inside America as well who need Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us a spirit of unity and gladness. I pray that you will cause us to be wonderfully kind to one another, encouraging uh, to one another, and prayerful with one another. And that you will give us a good conference and give us wisdom. And Lord, if you want us to do this strat-op thing, uh, Lord, uh, may, may all those things work out in such a way that we know you're in it. And so we pray, God, for a great, great new church year. We're excited about it. We're excited about new members who will be coming on board. I think it's even next week. And uh, we thank you, God, for the fruit that you're bringing. We love you. I pray that you'll take us out uh, into a great uh, week, that we will be able to serve you well. Bring us across people that need Jesus, who need hope. Help us to take the land of our neighborhoods and the places where we live and the places where we work and uh, the surrounding areas, Lord. May your favor be upon Lakeview and each one of us individually is my prayer. And all of God's people said together, amen and praise the Lord. God bless you.